require a single gentleman who is in the Coliseum Hospital. Um, I want to pray for Bird. He's been in there for over a week. Um, so, again, if you know people that are part of our church, someone text me as I was leaving the hospital this morning about a man who grew up in this church, no longer a part of our church, but is in ICU, owns Fincher's Barbecue, John Gautier. You want to pray for John, so let's do that. Father, we're mindful of your mercy to us. We're here. We're not in the hospital. We're blessed, and we thank you for the food that is a blessing to us and help us to know that you you care for us. Now, we pray for those who need care in a special way, for John Gautier, that you would spare his life as he is in ICU and that he can recover and be back into his normal life, that you would draw close to him, and that you would be with our friend Bird Wyatt, and that you would help him in the extreme weakness that he is experiencing and his particular needs, that you would come to him spiritually in a very profound way and minister to his life and encourage him. And Father, all of us have people attached to our lives that have tremendous needs, some physically, some emotionally, financially, spiritually. Help us to be instruments of your peace in their lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. About 14 years ago, I was um, in Montgomery, Alabama for about a year helping a church that was in between pastors. They graced me with an apartment and uh, put a television in there thinking that if I could be entertained by the television, they wouldn't have to take that burden upon themselves. So uh, I could go home in the evening and watch TV. And uh, for me, that was a novelty. We had not, up to that point in time, all my married life, we hadn't had a television. In fact, we didn't have one until we moved to Macon. Uh, but anyway, got to watching television, and there was a right snappy con commercial on there for one of the uh, uh, Japanese auto companies. And the commercial was built around the catchy little phrase, when you get it, you get it. And the idea was, when you get how good of a car they are in your mind, then you'll go and get one and own it. Now, when you get what Mark is saying in his gospel about the importance of having a personal devotional life, when you finally get it, you'll want that personal devotional life. That's what Mark is teaching us here. He begins by telling us that this is a gospel about Jesus the Christ and that it's about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, as we look at our devotional life, we need to see what it's focusing on. Our devotional life needs to focus on this reality. I'm a child of God. Jesus was the Son of God. I am a child of God, and I need to live my life every day as a child of God. 
Now, this devotional life focuses on this reality all through the book of Mark. Now, I want to read to you uh, from chapter 2 this first story of, of a series here that Mark gives us. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they uh, removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they were questioning within themselves this, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Skip that next verse. Go to the verse 11. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Now go back to verse 10 and understand verse 10 is Mark's commentary. Not Jesus' words, but Mark's commentary. But that you may know, that would be his congregation or us, but that we may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins Jesus said to the paralytic these words. Now, I just wanted to divide it up so you'd get that little understanding that that was not Jesus' words in verse 10, but Mark's. Now, we are to recognize the truth that we are God's child every single day. We are to recognize that as we go through our life, all through our life, there are going to be things that are going to happen each and every day. Some of these things are a part of the life that we've established. For me, it could be that I'm married to Pat. It could be that I have the big displeasure of owning two homes. It could be that I've got more cars than one man ought to own. It could be I have more books than any preacher ought to own. All of these things come and go and affect my life. You have things in your life that affect your life exactly the same way these things affect my life. They're all competing for our attention, our heart, our mind, our energy, our resources. That's going to happen to you every single day. It happens to me every single day. And yet the call that is upon us is for us to realize above and beyond all these things we're God's children, and we're to act accordingly. You know, we could ask ourselves this kind of a question. Put your own vocation in here. 
Am I a pastor who happens to be a Christian? Or am I a Christian who happens to be a pastor? Which one of those perspectives would you own more clearly, more instinctively? Are you what you are in your vocation? And in that vocation, it just so happens that in that vocation, whatever the office is, you're one of a number of Christians in that vocation? Or has God created you in such a way to put you in this vocation? And in that vocation, you are to be whatever you are, a Christian businessman, a fireman, a Christian retiree, uh, whatever the profession it would be. Because really, we've got to take that perspective. We're children of God, and we're diverse in all of the things that we're involved with every single day. As a child of God, my life is to be a witness of these things that are spoken about Jesus in the very first verse of this gospel. This is what Mark's gospel is about from beginning to end. It's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of God. That's what the gospel's about. That's what our life is to be about. When we say that Jesus is the Christ, what we're saying is that he is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament scriptures, that all the Old Testament scriptures promise a Messiah, promise an anointed one, promise that the Christ will come, and that, that Jesus is this Christ. That's exactly who he is, and that he is being revealed in all that he is doing as the Son of God. That's what's happening from beginning to end in this gospel. Now, I need to witness to that. That's why these words are at the beginning. That's the way the entirety of the book of Mark is written. It's written that it would anchor this into our hearts and minds and that we would live this out in our witness all through the days of our life, that we're the children of God because Jesus is the Christ, the unique Son of God. So we go through life, and we've got to be able to witness to this reality. Yesterday, I went to the cardiologist. He has decided that my upper chamber of my heart is throwing in an extra beat every now and then, and he says, it'll make you miserable, it just won't kill you. So I'm very thankful for that, and I've left his office to be miserable. So <laughs> he is trying to give me some medication that will help, help in that. Well, while I'm in there, I decided there's nurses, and nurses need to be entertained, and so I took it upon myself to entertain them. And they wanted to know who I was and what I did, and I says, well, I'm a pastor of a church. Well, what do you think they wanted to know then? Well, which church? <laughs> well, I told them. I'm down here at First Presbyterian Church. One of them was a cute little thing, and I thought she might be single in need of a male uh, 
uh, friend, and I told her that we were a church that was filled with young Christian men uh, down here, and that we had a tremendous ministry for girls like her, to which she said, well, I'm already taken. And as you would expect of me, I was not dissuaded by that. I just went on and I says, well, you and your husband would really enjoy the ministry that we have at our church to people just like you. She said, I think I'll visit. Before she left the room, she said it three times. I expect one day soon I'll see her here. All right, well, last night I got invited to a dinner. There were a whole passel of people that I didn't know. Soon enough, they found out, well, John's a pastor. Well, where are your pastor? <laughs> and the husband and wife said before the evening was over, we'll be there Sunday morning. Now, just honestly, can't you do that? Can't you do that? It's not all that difficult. I'm a phys ed major. If a phys ed major can do it, you could do it. Now, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. We're children of God. And we need to be working in this community to make Christ known. Now, there was no direct opportunity for me to share the gospel directly with these people. And I don't think that unless that's opened up for you, that you ought to just try to jam that into every conversation. But if you're willing to do the very basic things about inviting people to church, you'll find that there's going to come a point in time when people are going to want to ask you, well, what happened to you? And it would be just very simple for you to say, you know, at some point in time in my life, I came to understand that the whole Old Testament was about Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ. And as I began to understand that Old and New Testament, I came to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, and he's the Savior of sinners, and I was one, and he saved me. I, I mean, I've taken a whole lot and put it in your hands. That's really all you need to be able to say. Oh, you might get some questions. I, I get some I get some humdingers, some stem winding questions. And normally it's just somebody that wants to mess around with you. But if you just keep it basic and simple, this is what we need to be doing. Now, I want you to know that our devotional life, secondly, doesn't, just doesn't prepare us to be able to tell people who Jesus is. We've got to come to grips every day in our devotional life. I am a child of God. I'm here for a purpose. But in chapter 2, what we've read here is that our devotional life also prepares us for a cultural conflict. Our day-to-day -day devotional life prepares us to interact with people all through our culture. That's what, it's, what we're, we need to see is happening. Now, why do I say that? Here's Jesus doing this ministry. It's focusing on him being the Messiah. 
in all the actions that he's doing, he's testifying to the reality that he is the Son of God. That's all Jesus is doing in the book of Mark. And as a result of that, he is facing conflict. Now, the conflicts that we find here in chapter 2 are not sequential. Isn't that a big word for a phys ed major? They're not sequential. They did not happen one, then another one, then another one, then another one. No. What Mark's done is taken representative conflicts that Jesus faced, and he grouped them together one after another in order that we would see, wow, when Jesus went about his ministry, it brought cultural conflict to bear upon his life. There are five of these here. Now, all five of these happened early, and all five of these happened near the Sea of Galilee. I do this, you know, when you're a phys ed teacher, you've got to keep it simple. Sometimes when you've got a Presbyterian congregation, you need to even make it simpler. But that's another story. But if you take your hand and you put your hand up in the air like this, like you're voting, and you think that your hand represents the Sea of Galilee, your arm represents the Jordan River, and off in this direction is where Jerusalem is. That easy enough? You can take that home if you want. Show your wife or your husband. They'll think you're crazy, and that's okay. But look, you have five conflicts that Jesus faced at the beginning of his ministry. They were around the Sea of Galilee. Later on, as you come to the end of Jesus' life in chapter 11 of Mark's gospel, he's going to face five conflicts with the Pharisees, but they're going to be in Jerusalem. These first five conflicts end in chapter 3, and in chapter 3, it says at the end of this, the Pharisees went out and immediately held a council with the Herodians against Jesus, how they could destroy him. Can you see how the progression of thought in these first five conflicts comes that Jesus shouldn't live? These five conflicts later in his ministry end up with Jesus dying. Jesus, because he was the Messiah, and because he put himself forward as the Son of God, ran into conflict. Now, what's that mean? Why does Mark tell these stories? Well, the stories are there because this is what we need to be telling people. And if we go out and we tell people that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the Son of God and he's the Savior of sinners, you can bank you're going to run into opposition and conflict. Now, let's just give you a simple one. I'm talking to a relative, talking to her husband. He's playing the game, you're a pastor. I'm sitting here listening, wondering where in the world that's going to go. Now, I will say that this man is a devoted member of the Shriners. 
I'm assuming that you all know the Shriners. Now, the Shriners do great and glorious things. Uh, they also love to run around with their um, red Mustang cars and street parades and little, uh, you know, dune buggies and things like that. And, well, this relative's husband was a part of that entertainment group. He was a Shriner clown. And he was very proud of all of this business of being a Shriner. And I'm listening to him. Now, just honestly, it didn't take long to figure out that he was, how did we say it, as lost as a goose. It didn't take long. And so in listening to him, I thought, well, we're going to see where this can go. I asked him, Ray, do you believe the Bible? Yes. Okay. Do you believe all the Bible? Yes. Do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? Yes. Do you think the Bible contains any lies? No. Do you think Jesus ever told a lie? Never. You're sure of that? Yes. I says, good. Let me read to you what Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Immediately Ray said, I don't believe that. Now, basically, the conversation came to an abrupt end. Now, I want you to see what this is not, we haven't overcome this hurdle yet in the family. But this is just a simple illustration that I, I just share with you. If you're going to stand up and to testify with Jesus, what does Jesus say? Testimony of me is going to divide a father against his children, children against their fathers. It's going to divide this one from that one and this one from that one, and it will. It's going to create conflict in your culture. What are we called to do? Well, we are called over and over again to witness to the two facts. Jesus is the Christ, the fulfillment of all the scriptures. Jesus is God's Son He's the Savior of the world. Now, Mark is doing this in Rome. And what had just happened in Rome was Paul had been uh, beheaded as a martyr. Peter had been crucified upside down. Nero is getting ready to lay the blame for the burning of Rome against the Christians. And they're going to go through a tremendous persecution. They're going to have situations in which they're going to be betrayed by a Judas from within their group. Then some of them who are going to be betrayed are going to experience crucifixion. Some of them were lashed to poles that were elevated. They were covered with pitch and after dark they were illuminated as street lamps. 
Then others were, for their amusement, clothed in animal skins and placed in the arena, and hungry wild animals were let loose on them. That was what was done to these people. Now, it was done to them for two reasons. They said Jesus is the Christ, the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, and that he is the Son of God. He is to be worshipped. And for that reason, not worshipping the state, they were then uh, put to death. Now, who won? Who won this cultural conflict? That becomes the question. Bearing witness to Christ is going to create for us this cultural conflict. What's going to happen? Well, if we follow Mark, and I'm trying to make a case initially here, you have to have a personal devotional life. You won't stand up against this kind of opposition apart from reading your Bible every day, calling yourself to task that you're the child of God, and you're going out into the world to witness. You won't do this apart from a personal devotional life. Jesus had his. We're to follow him. If you go... um, in Google, uh, this information, you'll come up with a quote from a man named Tertullian at the end of the first century in North Africa and in Rome. And to the opposition at that time, he wrote this famous statement. We are but of yesterday, and yet we have filled all the places that belong to you. Cities, islands, forts, towns, exchanges, the military camps themselves, tribes, town councils, the palace, the senate, the marketplace. We have left you nothing but your temples and their gods. That's what Tertullian was able to write about the year 175. Who won this cultural war? Now, many individual Christians lost their lives, but Christ was exalted. Now, you would not be surprised after my reading what Tertullian said that he has another more famous quotation that almost everyone in this room is going to know. Anybody have a clue which one I'm talking about? I bet you do. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. (laughs) The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That was Tertullian's famous quote. Now, as things went on during this time, uh, Tertullian wrote about it. And see if this doesn't almost sound um, contemporary. The opponents use their justification of their hatred of Christians 
for the blame of every public disaster and misfortune that befalls the nation. If the Tiber rises to the walls, if the Nile fails to rise and flood the fields, if the sky withholds its rain, if there is an earthquake or a famine or a plague, straight away the cry arises, the Christians to the lions. Does that sound eerily familiar? Because right now, so much of what's going on in the culture that the culture doesn't care for, it's being blamed upon the followers of Jesus Christ. Now, again, I'm trying to make a case for you having public, private devotional lives in order that you can stand and make a public profession of your faith. What Mark's doing here is training us, training us to have a personal devotional life to train us by means of looking at Jesus' devotional life, training us by showing us the way that Jesus ran into the conflicts with his own culture. Now again, we love our country. I don't think there's a person here that would say, I don't love my country. There are probably few here that would not say that they really love the state of Georgia that Georgia is a wonderful place. Many of you would go beyond and say Macon is a wonderful place. We're committed to it, and that's a good thing. But we're not going to win our culture by being quiet. That's just not going to happen. No one likes the thuggery that's all around us. The political thuggery and just the rampant personal thuggery that's in the streets. But the answer isn't through throwing money at it. It's not the answer by doing all manner of things for people thinking that we're going to cause them to like us. It's not working. Isn't it clear? Isn't it clear on a national scale, on an international? It's not working. Where's the answer? Mark is showing us where the answer is. The answer is in our telling one person after another, inviting them to church, explaining who Jesus is, explaining what Jesus has done for us, and doing this over and over again. It was meant to be a daily way of life. That's what we need to be thinking about. And just honestly, if we do this, some of us will lose our jobs. We just need to come to bank. Some of us are going to lose family members. Some of us are going to lose friendships. But the people that are friends of this world, even the Lord says, shows that they're not friends of his his son. We need to understand this. Now, again, the biggest point that I'm trying to make last week and this week is you look at Jesus and it says that he got up early in the morning. It says it was while it was still dark. 
He left the house. He went to a wilderness place. And there he prayed. We need to be getting up early. The alarm clock went off at 5 o'clock this morning. The coffee was in my hands by about 5.15. And I was sitting here looking at the scriptures and praying. Who am I? What do I need to be about today? Let's pray. Help us, Father, to see this, that it's not really complicated, but it is essential. It's more essential than almost anything we could do. We need to know who we are because of who Christ is. And then we need to be doing those things that were the things that he did and help us to see that and help us to see that all that will come to us, you'll be with us and you'll enable us to bear a good witness and that ultimately it will conquer the culture. We think of the words of scripture that tell us that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of our Christ and that he will reign forever and ever. May that be so. Amen.